My Hockey Hero is proudly supported by eBay Canada. My name is Dean. Ever since I was a kid, I collected hockey cards with spare change my dad gave me. As a black person, to see others like me on the ice inspired me. I didn't see myself as a black hockey player. I saw myself as a hockey player. They were my role models and showed me hockey is a game for everyone. When you're on a hockey card, it's, it's pretty cool. I've collected 100 rookie cards for NHL's black and biracial players, and I'm going to talk to all of them so you can learn their stories. Jamal Mayers was born in Toronto in 1984. He played for the St. Louis Blues, Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames, San Jose Sharks, and the Chicago Blackhawks. For a young kid who grew up in the 80s, I think having a hockey card was kind of the, the benchmark and you knew you made it. I had a great chat with our next guest, Jamal Myers. He was a Ford who played in the NHL from 1996 to 2012, which is a really long time to play in the NHL. Jamal told me the secret to his longevity was the incredible shape he kept his body in. Jamal made a point of being very appreciative of the sacrifices fellow black players like Tony McKegney and Claude Bilgren made as trailblazers so that he and others had someone to look up to in making it to the NHL. Let's meet the man from the card. Yeah, well, I grew up in a single parent house until um, my mom remarried when I was, met my stepdad when she was, when I was about 12. Um, but up until that point, it was just my mom and my brother and I. My brother is six years older, so anything he was doing, I wanted to do as well. Um, we moved quite a bit growing up, but growing up in the city, there was tons of tennis courts that they turn into we just flood it down and turn into ice rinks and that's where we started skating and would skate all the time so uh, there's a ton tons of nights cold days and, and nights skating out, outside in Toronto for sure Jamal loved sport but did not play hockey until he was 10 yeah I played everything from running track to playing volleyball basketball um I enjoyed all sports as a kid, so I didn't really play like baseball or soccer or anything like that. But anything that the school was having or allowed you to be a part of, that was definitely I was definitely involved. One of the things that if you were to talk to anybody who played against me even growing up, they would say that, you know, I've and it's probably a commonality with all athletes, is that, you know, I was super competitive in, in everything and then and I think that, that drive and that passion is just who I was and who who I am today you know I coach 10 and 11 year olds right now so um, getting them to dig into their their standard of, of, of compete some of them come by it naturally fortunately I did uh, but I also think you can learn you can learn it but I think that that came easy to me when Jabal moved home his path took a new turn that would help his career progress at the time one of my really good friends, Drew Olenek, was playing for the um, Young Nats, Toronto Young Nats. And so we moved from Toronto to Mississauga, and I went from De La Salle High School to Arendelle. And with us only having one car, and it was just going to be really difficult, it was going to make a lot more sense for our family for me to just switch to the Young Nats. They wanted me to come to their team. And then Drew and I could carpool together and, and it would make life easier for our family because we both live literally like five minutes from each other. 
Well, Don Mills would not give me my release. And so here we are, August goes by, no release. September goes by, no release. October starts, season starts, no release. We have a hearing with the MTHL and Don Mills Flyers win and I don't get to switch teams, which was ironic because I was a good player, but I wasn't this, I think maybe it was more precedent setting perhaps, but very disappointing that they wouldn't let a 14-year-old just switch teams and it doesn't make sense to me. No, we weren't trying to build a superpower. It just made more sense for our family. However, having just sat around for a little bit, I ended up, my mom was a law clerk at a law firm called Fulgur Rubinoff. And one of the lawyers there was friends with a gentleman who he did business with that uh, was with Tridel, the, the commercial building company. Well, they had recently owned and part were only owned a tier two junior A team called Thornhill Thunderbirds. So through that connection, they said, well, you can go skate with these guys and at least it's somewhere for you to practice and, and, and to do that. So as a 15 year old, I went out and skated with them and I skated with them for like three weeks. And actually the coach at the time um, taught us Scott McClellan, who was a former third round pick to the Bruins. He was like, well, we want, we want you just to play here. And so I went from trying to switch teams to the young Nats to skipping midget all the way all together and playing tier two junior a for Thornhill Thunderbirds. And, uh, that year was was a difficult year, the transition, because you're playing against 17, 18, and 19-year-olds. Um, and I did okay. I think I had like 25 points. But that second year, I, I really took off and, and, and had a real offensive explosion um, of a season. So it was was pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Uh, that two-year period was probably the turning point for me for my career. What it, I think what it what it did was it forced me to to learn the game quicker. It forced me to work harder for every inch. Um, but I think it also when you have those little successes, it starts to make you think like, okay, I can do this. It's probably the real turning point where the belief system started to kick in, where I thought, you know what, I can. I can play at this level, I can more than just play at this level, and I'm a year younger. Um, and so I just came in that second year with just a ton of confidence in the preseason. I had over, I know I had like two, at least two points a game. We brought in uh, Jeff O'Neill was there that my second year. And that following year, to give you perspective, he led our team in scoring, but he, that I was second. He was a 15 or 16, 15 year old. He got drafted first overall in the OHL coming out of there. So seeing him doing it, me having success, it really just, we fed off of each other in that regard. And I think seeing him having a ridiculous offensive season, and I thought to myself, well, he's a year younger. Like, I should be doing that too. It gave me confidence to dominate as well. Jamal then came to crossroads in his life. Yeah, I was drafted by Kingston. I had told them that I was going to school. I think I was drafted in the seventh round. But I knew that I wasn't going to be a high pick. Even if I would chosen to go to the OHL, I probably would have landed somewhere in the third or fourth round. I think if that's what I recall. And because of that, I was like, I need to go to school. And it wasn't just me saying that. It was my mom. Like, 
there's an opportunity to go get your education. I was drafted by Kingston and I think I went for the 24 hours, but didn't get on the ice and maintain my eligibility and, and um, decided that I would go to school and everything worked out. For Jamal, college felt like a welcoming place. Two black players who broke barriers before him, John and Bray Saunders, inspired him. When I got there, well, on my visit, and you're looking on the wall, and you look in the 70s, and, and you saw, I saw the pictures of those guys, and they stick out, right, with their afros in the picture, and I'm like, wow, like, there was, these guys played here 15 years before I, I, I got here, like, so I felt like there, there was a sense of, like, I could fit in here, and this is a place that could be good for me. Not to mention they really liked me. They wanted to take me a year early. I, I fast-tracked high school. So I did two years of high school in the same year. So I could, I could go to school. I have a late birth date. So I went to college at 17. You know, I think other schools wanted me to wait till my actual year to go. But with Western, I already played two years of junior. I already, you know, I dominated. And I was like, okay, I don't want to go back to junior. I want to go to college next year. And so fortunately, Western was one of those places that was going to allow that to happen. And so in going there, we had, uh, we had a great class. I think that we were, if you look at the tenure of my, my, my class that went in at 92, we made it to the tournament twice. I don't, I don't know if any class has done that since the tournament, meaning like the top 12 teams at the end of the season. Um, we tied for the, the league, the league and the, the CCHA with University of Michigan my senior year. My first year, I was okay. I thought I had an okay season. I ended up with 25 points. Now you look back on it, I had 25 points in, in what, 34 games was, is pretty good. Uh, but when you're in it, you're like, ah, oh, it's not very good because I just had over a point a game, right? So I was pretty disappointed in that. But my sophomore year, I was lucky. I got to play with Colin Ward, whose brother, uh, played for the Buffalo Sabres and, and we wasn't a very good skater, but he sure could score goals. And so I was more of a passer back then. So, my sophomore year was probably my coming out party offensively because um, I could skate, make make plays, and he could shoot the puck. So we had a good combination uh, there and had my best offensive season, I believe, my, my sophomore year. If you're enjoying My Hockey Hero and thinking about starting your own hockey card collection, I'd suggest you start with eBay eBay is all about connecting communities and fueling passions. Because of its thriving card collector community, I was able to make my dream come true by collecting the rookie cards of the NHL's black and biracial players. Start your own collection at ebay.ca slash hockey cards. The chance to play in the NHL came much sooner to Jamal than he'd expected. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, pretty surreal thing how quickly it happened to be honest with you I played six years in the minors and then I got called up so I get called up and Mike Keenan's a coach uh, of the Blues at the time and you know you'd heard all these horror stories and such so I was just nervous just to be there and, and, and be around so um, he doesn't really talk to you he doesn't tell you what he's expecting of you you just kind of like morning skate lunch and then you're playing in the game and Quite frankly, he didn't talk to me for like three games. So um, I think that was just him trying to test test you out and see how you'd respond. But um, just an absolute thrill to, to see your jersey hanging up and 
in the stall with, with Brett Hall and Al McInnes and Jeff Cortnall and Grant Fuhrer and just a plethora of, of, of players that I watched on TV that were in the locker room. And so really neat um, to play your first game, to be a part of it. Pr pretty much a blur. I'm not sure how well I played, but um, it, it was just nice to get out there and, and, and really soak it all in and just try to enjoy it, stay in the moment. Jamal knew that to stay in the NHL, he'd have to prove himself. Well, with Keenan there, they had called guys up and down so much that my second year pro, I don't even know if they called anyone up. Maybe just because of injuries, they might have called someone up. So literally, I didn't get called up at all. It didn't matter what I was doing. They, they wanted some stability organizationally, and they did not want this feeling for the big club that that was happening. So... And rightfully so, I needed time to develop and, and so forth. So the challenge came in my third training camp when I trained all summer. The previous playoffs, I ended up breaking my wrist, my skateboard, and I didn't know it. So I go to training camp my third year and um, come to find out that they take an x-ray. I say, my wrist is still bugging me from the playoffs last year in the minors. And they said, let's take an x-ray. Well, I'll take an x-ray and it's broken. So I've been training with it all summer and it's broken. So I go to the GM and I say, well, listen, I'm still doing the testing, the bench press, all the testing. I've been training with it all summer. I'll have surgery next week, but I want you guys to see how hard I work. They said, okay. So I did the testing, crushed the testing and all the all the metrics for fitness uh, with a broken wrist. And I think that showed them like, well, this guy's, uh, you know, really wants it. I went again and I asked the GM, Larry Plow at the time, I said, listen, if I go to Worcester to rehab, you guys have way more resources here. Pay me my minor league salary. Let me stay in St. Louis, the hotel, and let me train every day with on my own. I'll stay in, it'll be like I'm in the minors, but I'm going to be here. To, they don't have the resources you guys have here. And he, he agreed to it. So I literally, they saw how hard I worked in the gym every day. And I didn't play my first game till after Christmas that year. I go, I was finally healthy. I was skating with a parachute. I was running. I was riding on the bike. I was just killing myself. But I knew they would be watching. Uh, they would be seeing me do all this. And that was my strategy. I wanted them to know how bad I wanted it. So then I went to the minors. I played 19 games in the minors. Contributed well offensively. And then they called me up and I never went back. That, that, to me, is, is a pretty cool accomplishment. Jamal's brother gave him important advice that created a mindset to overcome prejudice. Were there challenges that I faced growing up and, and from 10 years old to going to college and through college into pro? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that my brother told me early on was like, if you really want to piss off those people that are saying those things to you, go score another goal. And so... I never fought. I never got in a fight once until my, I was in the minors. So if, I was a goal scorer. I was a point. I was going to get points. So um, that, would, to me, was the way to, to to make them even more angry. So I use it as fuel. Having said that, all those things that may have happened over the over those years, I've got a pretty thick skin and I'm resilient enough. The part that does bother me over the years is like I think back to the kids that were 14 and 15 that that didn't have the ability to do that. 
they would have walked away from the game. And there's probably hundreds of kids like that that were had the potential to be just as good or better. But, you know, that was not a safe place for them and their parents probably made the decision, we're not doing this. And, and that part, I can't go back and change, it's unfortunate. Um, but yes, and that's what made the, me leaning into some of this work that I'm doing now with the PIC and the NHL Player Inclusion Coalition is that I've realized through doing this work uh, is that I had to endure it, but we got to make the steps that, so the kids after, the kids now don't have to endure those types of things. The one thing I am encouraged about is that I do believe that today's players, and I'm talking about the kids in their 20s, are much more aware of what's going on. Their world is much more connected. Even if they're from a small town like Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, they all have cell phones, they all have social media, they all follow what the NBA is doing. They know way more about other sports than we ever did. And so they're much more connected to the outside world, even though they might live in a really small town in Canada. But my hope is that parents out there look and say, you know what, that's a safe and nurturing place for my kid to try something new where he, can, he or she can grow and have fun. And then you can really enjoy the things that make hockey great. And that's the resilience you learn, the work ethic, the teamwork, the camaraderie, following your dreams, the ability to fall and get back up, all those qualities that you want in your kids uh, that I learned through hockey, I think every kid should have that opportunity. And my hope is that we continue to push that forward so that kids feel like it's a safe place. Jamal sees barriers to hockey as not just being based on cost. He believes we can do more to make it welcoming. I see there's two buckets. There's a philanthropic bucket, and then there's the bucket of the families that actually have the means uh, to play as well. And I think our sport has failed in both. And, and so what I mean by that is that sometimes you're right. We always think of like, you know, the BIPOC community, it's because they can't afford it. That's why they're not playing. Well, I can assure you, I have friends who own hotels, African-American families here in, in St. Louis that own hotels and own McDonald's and, and have plenty of money. I also am friends with um, Dave Stewart III, who is one of the richest African-Americans in the entire United States. Uh, and his son uh, has no desire and had no desire to play hockey. Obviously had the means. He's a billionaire. So we are a sport are doing a, a poor job in making those families who can actually afford it feel like it's a safe and nurturing place for the kid to grow and have fun and play sports and play the game. And so, and so it's really important that we do both. Um, that we make sure we're doing, we're giving kids a touch point so they can try it. And we're also creating a safe place for them to continue, but also the families that can't afford it. Like, what are we doing to make them feel welcome and feel part of it? Jamal has a rare achievement that all NHL players dream of, a Stanley Cup. It was pretty pretty neat year. My first year in Chicago, I played 80 games uh, out of the 82. We ended up losing in the first round to, to Phoenix. It was pretty disappointing, obviously, to lose to the Coyotes. Um, the year before that, they had won the Cup in 2010. And so this, this was a young, young, hungry group that we ended up going undefeated 
the first 20, I believe 26 games of the season after the lockout had ended in 2013. And so we knew we had a special group. Going into that playoff was pretty cool, but we ended up down three games to one to, to Detroit. And we found a way to win that series and, and continue to go on. And we felt like after that series that we were pretty much destined to, 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 to do it again. So, you know, I took every warm up. I didn't play in the, in the, in the playoffs, unfortunately, um, but certainly was, was around the team a lot and played half, not quite half the games because it was a shortened season. I played 19. I think half would have been 21. But Jonathan Taze is known for making that comment that if he has to not put captain on there and make sure my name's on the cup, come to find out that all it really took was was Stan Bowman to say, we, you know, we want Jamal Mares' name to be on the cup. And, and I'm forever grateful for that. So um, grateful for, for to the Hawks that, that they made that happen. And and uh, pretty neat uh, that that's what, the way it went down. Jamal has discovered a whole new career in media since leaving the NHL. Still working in the community with the St. Louis Blues, out helping activate some of their school visit things and learn to plays and, and a North City Blues program that we have, um, which is amazing. It's, I had so many kids that are enjoying the game that would never have the chance to do it. I'm also doing TV at Sportsnet again this year. I'll be there every Tuesday and Wednesday, so you can watch Wednesday Night Hockey. And I'll be out there, I'll be there in the studio and uh, enjoying uh, being an analyst and what a great team we have working with uh, at Sportsnet. They've been awesome so far and I'm really enjoying my time there. We're proud to be working with Hockey Equality. Hockey Equality is on a mission to create diversity at all levels of the game of hockey. By lowering financial barriers for BIPOC female and other equity deserving youth hockey players. If you've been moved by the story shared on this podcast and want to help make hockey accessible to all, check out HockeyEquality.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast but would like to dive deeper, then check out our extended version of this interview at Recognize, Black Hockey Heroes of the NHL. You can click on the link in the show notes or find it wherever you get your podcasts. You can see the cards of the players in my collection at blackhockeycards.com. This has been a Podstarter production. production.